Hello and welcome back to The Shakedown, an F1 and motorsports learning podcast. My name is Ellie and along with Moni and Hannah, we are learning about F1 and many other motorsports series too. In this episode, we're recapping some of the important stuff from the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, including some fun old tyre chat. Then we discuss the upcoming 70th anniversary of the Macau Grand Prix, taking place over the next two weekends. As always, if you want to get in touch or have suggestions of things you want to know about, you can find us on Instagram at Pretty Girl F1 Club and on Twitter at PGF1C. Or you can follow us on TikTok at PGF1C. But for now, enjoy! Hello everybody and welcome back to The Shakedown. Hello! Wow! We have had quite the weekend. Haven't we? It was a sprint weekend as well. So it feels uh-huh. like it was like doubly as intense. Like, you know when you like you think about how there were what? five sessions and yeah. four mm-hmm. of them were like important mm-hmm. this is the one one of the few tracks that i don't mind being a sprint race because it always produces something interesting and fun you get memes you get action you get because let's be honest this is where our wilderness explorers were born last year yeah and again this year yeah in terms of land. i know we're just recruiting troop or- members <laughs> yeah yeah it was no. It was an entertaining weekend. It yeah, was genuinely a very entertaining weekend, and it, yeah, no small amount of chaos, but we love to see it. So yeah, we're not going to go into too much detail about like the ins and outs of the races, but we are going to talk about some of the sort of more critical moments, some of the more educational moments. But before we do, overriding feelings, guys, how did you feel about the race? Is actual race? chaotic the sprint race is great mm-hmm. obviously we'd have all loved to see lando hold on before the lights went out on sunday everyone oh, went into depression and you could just hear across the world the groan that all of the tifosi let out i i felt it in my soul oh, oh. I, it, it hurt but it's okay um we're gonna be okay the one thing that i found very interesting is that when he reported it charles when charles reported it to the media pen literally mid-race he said i can't talk about it it's classified mm-hmm. or something like Ooh, that interesting yeah and mm-hmm. i mean his radio was first of all heartbreaking mm-hmm. why is it me mm-hmm. why am i so unlucky what's wrong oh my gosh we're Casey, all wondering the same thing poor baby a new sound bite a new sound belt was born and charles i just want so much for you oh man Cries. yeah because because you're right, he did seem to make it quite suspicious, but what they've said since is that his power steering cut out, but it was a software thing. So the software that runs it cut out, the system shut down, and it killed power to the hydraulic, which apparently is a very, very rare failure. We're not, you know, if it was going to happen to anyone, it would happen to Ferrari. But yeah, that seems to be what has happened, is that this one in a million style failure <laughs> happened to... Just happened to happen to Charles. Just happened to happen to happen. That corner. I have a I have a theory, and I think that corner has it out for him because that's the same corner last year that Lando nicked him into. Yeah, same boards. Mm. Same. He Mm. landed the same way too, which is really interesting to me. No, I do. I did just feel awful for him. So we had we had those issues. We had Charles' issues. We'll get on to sort of the lap one, (laughs) lap one, even turn one. It was straight one. But was that even a, a turn? According exactly. to the regulations, it was. Was it? Hmm. According to the well, if you think about it, so this is our learning moment of the week, shall we say? There was a big issue that surfaced. 
based on how the restart was done and how the cars were ordered and their laps. Oh no, I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about purely the actual crash, the actual crash that caused the incident. Oh yeah, didn't well, even make one. No, it didn't. Make anyone. But yes, you're absolutely right. Turn two. They didn't even make it to the safety car two line. To be honest with you. I know. I know. So yeah. Sorry, please continue. You were talking about the incident that came from the incident. So we had an issue this weekend that surfaced, and the lovely Bernie Collins asked the questions and answered some questions that she could for fans on Twitter, which we really appreciate because all of us were a little confused. The lap counter on broadcast said that we were on lap five or something like that. Something something that we definitely did not witness um, when we restarted. Now, yes... It evolved from a yellow flag into a safety car to a red flag, Mm -hmm. and that does take a little Mm -hmm. bit of time. However, it did not take five laps. But that was the issue. That was the issue. Was the issue that was that it evolved rather than getting called as a red flag early enough, and that was what led to the issues for two drivers in particular, the two Australians on the grid, Mr. Oscar Piastri and Mr. Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah. So they ended up restarting because they were able to fix their wings on the, the, they had similar issues. They had back wing issues because unfortunately for Daniel Ricardo, um, Alex's back tire, just the rubber, flew off and bounced right off of his back wing, breaking it. Now, I don't actually know what happened to Oscar. I never saw it. His back wing looked fine to me. Ellie knows. Wait, Ellie? He took damage from, he took damage from Nico Hulkenberg. Oh, Nico! Dang it, Nico! Come on! Yeah, to be fair, like I don't wish to point the finger or anything like that, but hypothetically, you know, it might have been the whole thing. Might have been. No, you're right. A certain German driver's I completely I yeah, I'm still. Alex's tire said, "I'm not getting points." Off Danny Rick isn't getting points either, so we're making this. Yeah, the Williams were very interesting. Yep, they knew. Yeah, but knew where its competition was. That's fair enough. Points tire. Um, Puts the tire. So we ended up with having two cars a lap down due to the evolution of the yellow flags to a red flag, which hurt our two Australians on the grid. Mm -hmm. That being said, it pointed out something very interesting, which is that this morning when Bernie, or yesterday when she was answering questions, she said that hypothetically due to the regulations those two cars should have been allowed to unlap themselves if they were ready two minutes prior to the restart time that was part of the issue i think but it was two slightly different subsets of the rules from the way i understand it that were kind of a little bit at war with one another so technically from a technical point of view you're right the rules were followed correctly however in the words of nick fury it's a stupid ass decision it is not a good rule. It's not a rule that is developed very well. So essentially, you get different treatment if you're not part of the fast lane queue at the time of a red flag. So because Oscar and Daniel had both immediately gone into the pits and into their garages, they were treated differently to if they had stayed on the end of the cars on track. Now, if they were a lap down, but at the back of the queue, then the rules would have been applied how Bernie thought they would have been applied. But because they weren't running on track at the time of the race being suspended, then for the restart, they're only allowed, this is, I'm quoting from the rules here, they are only permitted to leave the pit lane when the race is resumed and must re-enter the pit lane when the safety car returns and they rejoin the race once the last car has passed the pit exit after the restart. 
and they are then starting in their order, i.e. a lap down. So basically, they got they they hadn't been lapped at the point that the red flag was called, but they became lapped once Max entered the pits following the red flag. And then because they were in their garages, that second half applied. So it's kind of similar to the practice of like lap cars being allowed to overtake the safety car, catch up to the back of the pack. It's a very similar kind of thing. But because we had the red flag, that's what kind of screwed it over a little bit. So the only way that they would have been allowed to not be a lap down would be if they'd carried on driving rather than going to the pits at the end of lap one. However, then they could have had their cars repaired in the fast lane rather than in the garage, which is what happened with Nico Hulkenberg. He had his car repaired in the fast lane, so he wasn't a lap down. But then they risked the punishment for, like, what's the meatball flag? The black and orange flag. Oh, the black they and orange flag. That. If they'd continue with their cars in a really unsafe condition and, you know, they may not have been able to be fixed in the fast lane anyway they may have needed to go into the garage so the biggest issue for them was that the the race didn't get flagged red flagged immediately it got yellow flagged and then it got safety card and so if it had stayed in the safety car they'd done absolutely the right thing there would have been multiple laps down so the red flag actually made them able to go out and race in a meaningful way but they didn't really race in a meaningful way because they couldn't score points because they were a lap down from the beginning so yeah, they still would have been forced to start from the pits, but they wouldn't have been a lap down. It's a bit of a silly rule, essentially, is is kind of the conclusion. And Ricardo said the same in his interview. He was like, so what if there were 15 cars that all took damage at the start? You'd have 15 cars starting a lap down. That seems a bit ridiculous. And, you know, in more extreme scenarios, you've got more of your grid starting a lap down rather than just these two. But essentially, the rules were followed correctly. The argument just is whether it's a sensible rule or not, and whether or not it can be looked at now the FIA have been quite good over this year of looking at rules post race and changing it for future races and things like that so it's possible that they'll do that again here but you kind of had both the timing of the red flag and the issue of them having already gone into the pits being the two things mm-hmm. that came into play does that make sense have I explained yeah, that yes. like semi helpfully complete sense and I think that it was definitely it's a valid point and there does need to be that differentiation in the sport sporting regulations because they're two different scenarios mm-hmm. yeah but it's that whether or not they should say yeah. under red flag conditions if there are extreme scenarios that have happened cars should be allowed to go out and come back round so that they've completed the lap i think that mm-hmm. makes a bit of sense because otherwise like it became a test session for them what there was no way they could catch up and so unless i mean obviously we had six cars at the time so they finished 13th and 14th, which looks better on paper than it actually was because there were laps, multiple laps down. So unless we'd had four more cars DNF, there was no point in them necessarily partaking in the race. Just mm-hmm. a thought. Yeah. However, in, in very promising, if you're a Daniel Ricciardo fan, his pace was third on the grid. So it in terms wasn't. of his, like his race pace, it was Lando Norris first, then Max Verstappen, and Daniel was a 10th off him in an Alphatari, which... Is incredibly exciting for them. It does mean that, or Yuki's points do mean that Alpha Tauri are now six points off Williams in the Constructors Championship. But when we when we're looking at something like Vegas with its upside down pig shape, the long straights are probably going to suit the Williams better than they're going to suit the Alpha Tauri actually. So, depending on who you're backing for, constru- for the Constructors title, I think we all know who on this podcast we're backing. 
it, it, these last two races do have an impact on those amounts. I mean, I couldn't tell you the last time Williams didn't finish P10 in the constructors. It was a while ago. It was a while ago. But it was a while ago. So obviously, but hopefully they can lock in that P7. Yeah. Yeah. Other news from this weekend was hires. Yay! <laughs> we we should make this a bit of time chat here. And you like they had this thing on the broadcast, and I'm going to get Hannah to explain it because she'll do just such a much better job of understanding it than I do. But they banged on time and time again on this broadcast about all oh, the Mercedes is hard on its tires, all oh, the Aston Martin's a bit easier on its tires, and all oh, these guys are hard, like hard, easy on tires. Hannah, help us understand what's this to do with? Why are some cars harder or easier on tires? What's that to do with? Is it aerodynamics? Is it setup is it downforce is it track is it driver or is all it of the above. <laughs> so mon is right it's all of the above it has to do with the setup the aerodynamics how much air is getting to the tires if you're William- williams it's all the air and none of the track um as we learned this weekend in fp1 sorry williams but yeah that's really good robin is do you have mm-hmm. reliant robin in the u.s you ever heard no. of a Reliant Robin? No. It's a car that's affectionately known as a hedgehog killer because it's got two back wheels and then one in the middle at the front. So, you know, oh, you to hypothetically drive it. Yeah, it's called a Reliant Robin. And yeah, I think uh, I think that Logan was aiming for one of those this weekend by driving on three wheels in FP1. Yeah, um, at one point he was... So turn one ended up being a big deal for the Williams car this weekend because they... We're exposed to extremely stiff suspension and by extremely stiff su- suspension even f1 tv after the fp1 session was astounded by the amount of daylight between the front tire and the ground and when i say the amount of daylight i mean there was a full two inches between the ground and his tire i mean listen if you don't want to dig the tire take it off the ground solid plan however <laughs> that means the car on is on term I mean, one of them, we've got to commend him for his strategy. Like you say, can't waste away. Right, you can't waste a tire if you don't use it. Okay. So for based on, I guess, this year's builds of the cars, that's how, I guess, explains why certain teams are harder on the tires, as they were saying, on the coverage versus others. Yes and no. So, like, the reason I point out Logan's is because their suspension was the problem. It was too stiff. Mm-hmm. You need to there. It's one spring that attaches both of the both of the wishbones, right in the front. So, if that spring isn't giving, the tire is going to fall off the ground. It's going to fly off the ground, and you're going to have a stiff suspension, risk of rollover. It's not going to be safe. It's not going to be balanced, and you're not going to have even dag on any tire. Okay. Now, in a circuit, mm-hmm. you don't have even dag on a tire anyways. Mm-hmm. It should be the inside tire, yeah. right? Inside front tire, inside back tire, depending on, you know, where we are. For cars like the Mercedes, they, in the beginning of the season, and I don't know if this is true anymore, but I think this is true based on what the what we were told over the weekend, they had issues heating up their tires. Mercedes will do better on a soft tire because it doesn't overheat the soft tire too fast. Yep. Ferrari will do better on a hard tire because they overheat their tires and their brakes and so the hard tire will be ready faster right mclaren is the same as ferrari i think because they definitely do better on the hard tire yes so that's how they were yeah i remember saying at the weekend that the mercedes stint in the middle on the mediums was just bad yeah in the race yesterday 
Is that because um, they couldn't get it up to the temperature they needed it for like that stint of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. Because Ferrari, from what I understand, some of it's to do with the fact that they don't have high downforce, so they have low downforce, so the car slides more as as they like go through the race and the like spend the fuel, burn the fuel. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That overheats. That's what overheats the tires. So that's to do with their downforce settings, isn't it? Yes. But you're saying that some of it's to do with the aerodynamic settings that just mean to mean different things in t- terms of tire wear. So the aerodynamics this is going to sound really kind of strange, but or it's going to make sense. But the brake, the cake tins, right, are right next to that rubber. And if they overheat right. because they're not getting enough air, right. then you're overheating your tire. It really depends on how much air is getting to those brakes because the brakes are going to heat the tire just as much as the friction of it running against the ground, if not more. Sure. So okay. that's where they struggle. So when they talk about the Mercedes being hard on tires, can you break that down into stupid English for me? I'm not totally sure what they mean by that because by all accounts it should be easier, meaning the tires should last longer unless it's a hard tire because the hard tire is not getting to temperature. That being said, it should be the best on soft tires by what they're saying. Yeah, it was the mediums that they struggled with. Yeah, but they're saying it was the mediums they struggled with yesterday because it was that middle stint in particular because they went soft, medium, soft. And it was the middle middle stint, sorry, that they kept being like, yeah, the Mercedes are really hard on these tyres, really hard on these tyres. Whereas the Aston Martin, on the other hand, seemed to be really kind to those tyres. And you saw that, obviously, they finished P3 and P5. So it was a good weekend for them, understanding maybe some of how that worked. But yeah, mm-hmm. it was just something that really good to mention. No, it is. And it's it's an interesting kind of scientific way of looking at, you know, how they use what they're allotted but i just don't have like unfortunately i don't have the data in front of me to be like oh yeah this is why you know (laughs) and so much of it has changed like you say since the way we understood the cars at the start of the year in comparison to how we understand them now following upgrades and all of those kind of things i think you're absolutely right like we don't understand all the different details of these cars but i think it's just worth flagging that that's where some of these strategies and the interesting parts of races really come become apparent because actually what mm-hmm. you would expect to see is that all the cars do the same and so this person does pits here and this person pits here and some of that strategy playing out like that but what we actually have to appreciate and understand is that yes there's all of those kind of things but there's also the unique characteristics I guess of each team of each constructor and how those kind of things play out when you're understanding their races and when you're understanding how they're going to perform and, and what they're going to do, that tyre degradation doesn't look the same for everybody. And different tyres can suit different drivers differently. And, yeah, I mean, I think we're all a little concerned about Vegas from a tyre point of view. Because, well, maybe we're not. Maybe we're not all aware and concerned about it. Maybe some people sleep blissfully unaware of the tyre issues with Vegas. But <laughs> Vegas is very you know, dry and very windy. And very cold because mm-hmm. it's at night. Really cold. So actually, Ferrari potentially could go better there because if it's naturally colder, teams that overheat their tyres, McLaren, like Ferrari, might not have so many issues. You've got your Aston Martin and Red Bull seemingly in the middle. But it's not looking like it, from this point of view, could be a great track for Mercedes because it yeah, potentially is going to be quite cold. And... You know, there's a plethora of issues 
there's a plethora of Vegas related issues that we're not going to get into this week because we've got another week before Vegas. So you'll have all of that fun pre-Vegas stuff next week. But it is just worth mentioning in this entire moment that we have right now that, yeah, there is some potential for Vegas to be quite impacted by the tyres as well, which, you know, Pirelli have made a really strong tyre this year. Actually, we've not seen the same degradation that we've seen in a lot of other races in previous years. So it's only sort of in these last few races that we've really seen that become a factor. But again, that seems to be specific to a couple of different constructors rather than being something that's an across the board. We have to, you know, like box and change tyres because they're not holding up as well. Actually, they've been quite a lot better this year, quite a lot more reliable. So, yeah, good job to Pirelli, I guess. It happens occasionally. Now, we're going to spend the rest of this episode talking about something F1 adjacent, shall we say. So, this is a, we're going to talk about the, the Macau Grand Prix, which is in its 70th anniversary this year, which Macau is, the Macau Grand Prix is a road race, but it's for, it's, it's quite a unique one because it's for both cars and motorcycles. Held annually in Macau, it's one of the only street racing events in which cars and motorcycles like participate at the same time, at the same place, and is one of only two Grand Prix that on like considered Grand Prix, but not part of the F1 World Championships. Just a bit of fun trivia for you. Do you know what the other one is? Would it be the Indy 500? No. I not think it was a multi. No idea, Ellie. Currently, and I should specify, one of only two national Grand Prix that aren't considered part of the F1 calendar. The other one is New Zealand Grand Prix. There's a New Zealand oh, Grand Prix? Yeah, yeah there is. Know. Sorry, Becca. <laughs> she did tell me about that. Yeah, sorry. Now, what do you guys know about Macau? Absolutely nothing. So, the Macau Grand Prix, like you said, is in its 70th anniversary year. I was introduced to the Macau Grand Prix, unfortunately, in 2018. Oh, bad year. Bad year. Which we'll get into later. Yeah. Past that, I didn't know a lot about it because I didn't want to learn about it mm-hmm. after that was my introduction. Which I feel like is fair yeah. enough. But it is an independent Grand Prix from the Formula 3 championship that we see supporting F1 races, um, which is a little yep. different. F2 drivers don't normally participate in it. There are some this year that are going to. It's like loads this year. Yeah. Because technically it would be considered a demotion, which is kind of interesting. I don't know why they would make it an F3. I don't know why they call it F3 when it's not part of F3 technically, but I think it's because no, they use a championship F- round, isn't it? I think they use F3 cars. I think that's why. Yeah, I think so. So it's, but it's like, it's one of those ones that's considered a stepping stone to Formula One. So it's considered like a little bit of a step up from F3. It's considered quite a, a tricky track, which I think it is. It's, it's quite a long track. Like it's quite a long circuit. So it's like 6.2 kilometers or 3.8 miles, if that's what you need it in. Correct. Know. But it's like a lot of fast straights, tight corners. It's quite narrower places as well, so it's considered one of the, like the top tier challenging circuits in the world. So, yes, whilst it is technically not part of the Formula Three Championship, it is kind of quite adjacent to the Formula Three Championship. But drivers love it. Drivers love driving it. It's and it's just considered to be quite a highlight of the year for a lot of people. So. This year, because it's its 70th anniversary, it's now like a two-weekend event. 
So you've got the first weekend with some of the domestic and Asian series. So you've got the things like Formula 4 Southeast Asia Championship. That's all racing this current weekend. But sort of the pinnacle of it takes place same weekend as Las Vegas F1 Grand Prix. So we're kind of getting a little bit ahead and talking about it now, but some of the action is kicking off this week. But sort of the International Series and the F3 title race will be the weekend of the well, 17th, 18th and 19th of November, which is exciting. So do you or can you name any former Macau winners who we might be maybe have talked about on this pod, heard about on this pod? Mon, can you think of anyone who you think might maybe have raced and won at Macau? Max Verstappen. Bingo! Oh, hell yeah. In 2014, Max Verstappen won and raced at Macau. 2015, a year later, who do you think might have uh, taken the crown from him a year later? You're asking me? You're asking mom? Charles? Charles? Yeah. I was asking either of you, but mom got it right. Yeah, so, you know, like a young Ayrton Senna raced there. Valtteri Bottas won in 2011, I want to say. But, like, we have a lot of former winners of it that have then come up through into f1 and other racing series as well which is is really cool like it's a well-respected race and well-known race so yeah they kind of have thursday friday for practice and qualifying then races are saturday and sunday but do you know how the qualifying works for the race nope isn't it similar to oh no i like here's the thing Okay. I feel like it's similar to Formula 3 because it's going to be, or like MotoGP qualifying, because it's going to be like a, a mashup of those two, but that's probably wrong. This is me guessing. Like I said, I did some quick no, research. No, I can't remember. I can't remember off the top of my head what MotoGP qualifying is, but basically the way that the qualifying for the main race, this is the main F3 race, I should, quite, should clarify, works, is that you have a 10-lap qualifying race to set the grid for the active race. Then how many laps do you think the main race would be? If you're qualifying is 10 laps, how many laps would you guess that the main race would be? 20. Any advance on 20, Hannah? Mm, I'm going to say 30. 15. What? I know. I don't get it. I, like, I genuinely am baffled by this. Like, you've done two-thirds race distance in qualifying, and I guess that makes it maybe more like a sprint race that sets the grid for the race as we kind of saw in the 2022 F1 regulations. But I read that and was a bit like, that's weird. That is That's weird. Just, seems bizarre. Anyway, but yeah, it it's kind of split across these all these days, and you have a lot of different championships competing there. So this year, let me try and get all of these right. We have the Formula Three competing there. We have the touring cars competing there. We have the FIA GT World Cup. We have the M- Macau Motorcycle Grand Prix. We have the gt3 category cars there's just a lot going on like there's a lot of different events it's like it's a whole spectacle of it rather than it just being like similar to what we see on maybe last weekend in f1 in sao paulo where you've just got the one well here's the thing so it's actually different lap distances depending on your class if you look at the so i'm looking at the website it's not ten and fifteen for everybody. That's just F three cars. No, no, that's just the that's just for the like the main Formula Three race, which is kind of like the pinnacle point. That would be like it's the F one race of the weekend. Race like even three yeah. miles is is nothing in a normal race. Like these F three cars. Yeah, what's a normal F one race? F three race distance. 
Isn't it a hundred kilometers? Hundred? Yeah, it's a hundred. That's why. That's why I put in my head is a hundred kilometers. Because a, it's a third right. distance of an F one race, right? Yeah, it's like an F one sprint race. So, and an F one sprint race is three hundred kilometers. So, yeah. so this race is ninety three kilometers. It's not too far off. It's not. It's not as far off as I thought. But I similarly was with you. I was a bit like, so what they do, sixty two kilometers for the qualifying. And then 93 kilometers, what's that? This is for the race. Maybe it's because there's so many classes and they have to do separate lap counts because GT3 cars are 12 and 16. Yeah, potentially. It looks very interesting. I don't quite have tons of details of where you'd be able to watch it, either in the UK or in the US. I'm not sure where you can see that. But if you can try and find some way to watch it, I think it will be a really exciting weekend. So... We've got some, a lot, as Hannah said, we've got a lot of the F3 grid, not quite all of them, but most of the F3 grid are driving. We've got the reappearance of some current and former F2 drivers as well. We've got IndyCar Rookie of the Year, Marcus Armstrong coming into one of the teams. We've got, it's just, it's it's an exciting event, I think, and a lot of the drivers are really, really keen to do it. We've got Bianca Bustamante in the F4 Southeast Asia Championship, which is this coming weekend. So she's racing this weekend. But again, all phenomenal exposure for these guys, phenomenal experience for these guys. And, you know, particularly they do quite well, can lead to some really cool things for their futures and going forward. So some of these F3 guys are already confirmed to be moving up to F2. So again, great experience. But for some of the ones who maybe aren't confirmed yet or are still in talks, this can be a real great opportunity to showcase their talent. Now, mm-hmm. Hannah, what is the issue with Macau? It's extremely dangerous. Before we get into that, I do have some trivia for you guys. Just to trivia. lighten the mood a little bit. Just to lighten the mood a little bit because it's about to get real dark. Do you, either of you know... Give us a trivia sandwich. <laughs> either of you know how or why the GP started? Like, what was it originally? For funsies, uh, I don't know. Kind of. It started as a treasure hunt around the streets of Macau. No. So originally, it was a scavenger hunt along the streets on a circuit. And I don't have all the details of like how they would hide the treasure or what the treasure was. But I'm assuming it was like prize money because that's, you know, um, cash is like, yeah. So like after a quick history search, it started at it was originally conceived in 1954 as a treasure hunt around the streets of the city, but shortly after it was uh, it was suggested that the hunt of track could host a professional racing event the local motor enthusiasts so just to lighten the mood a little bit before we get into all the grim scary stuff of the macau gp but yes it is a very dangerous track there have been multiple casualties and multiple injuries major injuries i don't know if there's been a small injury on this track it's all or nothing unfortunately with this circuit so it is it takes some major Honest, as you will, um, to enter this race, um, especially so young. Um, like I said, in 2018 was when I was introduced to the to the GP. Unfortunately, when I saw a video um, of a Lisbo- of the Lisboa corner, which is now a very famous corner, because in 2018, Sophia Flourish, who we know and love on this podcast from Formula Three, ended up suffering a spinal fracture after her Formula 3 car became airborne after contact leading into Lisboa corner, flipping over and catching the fence, striking a photographer's bunker. 
Luckily, she is okay and she is racing again, as we know. That is one of many in injuries and luckily it wasn't a fatality. There have been 17 fatalities at this track. Yeah, spread across all of the different, what's the word? Categories. Yeah. Yeah, thank According you. So to the... nine, mo nine motorcyclists, five car drivers, one spectator, one official, and one bystander. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's a dangerous race. And it's baffling to me that then it's considered to be at the F3 level where, like you say, they're so young. <laughs> like they really but here's the are. Thing. And, and then as Henry mentioned, like the safety regulations are very different for them versus like an F1 car. And like, because as we talked about before, like the safety regulations go down versus upwards. So when they're right. already super young, when you add that to the mix, it's like, how is it considered an F3 when you consider everything else? And it's also very iconic, which is just as interesting as well. So it's like, so it's like these young kids in this strangest track that's also well known. Interesting combination. But isn't Spa similar? Spa is similar. Iconic. Spa's it, it's yeah. so heralded as one of the best places to drive. It's absolutely amazing. And I love and respect all of that. I do. But they're still so dangerous. Mm -hmm. You know? Here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. To me, it's not surprising because if you think about it, and we talked about this in our safety episode, they start at the top and they work their way down when it comes to safety, which is the exact opposite of what they should be doing. It is my biggest criticism when it comes to how they handle the make and model of the feeder series cars is that the safest drivers, even though the cars are faster and technically they're not, it's it's basically they're at the same safety level as the Formula One drivers. It's just that the Formula One drivers are faster. They have more safety precautions as where the F3 cars are slower and have less safety precaution. It's really strange to me. So this doesn't surprise me in a way, but at the same time, you're right. It shouldn't, it technically really shouldn't count as an F3. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it. I'm, I, I'm hoping we can have a really safe weekend this weekend, a really great, well, not only really this weekend, this weekend and next weekend, I would say it's it spread across the two. I'm hoping we can have a really brilliant weekend, but also a really safe weekend because we don't want to be adding any fatalities, accidents, injuries to that. Sophia it was, in a lot of respects, incredibly lucky. It happened after the F3 season, I think. Or I don't know if she's in F3, but it happened after the main season. And obviously she's back racing now. She's going to be racing this year because she's on the current F3 grid. So, yeah, so she'll be racing this year. I can't remember who it is. It's with her she drives with at the moment. She is racing um, with Vin M Sport. Yeah. So, yeah, so she obviously has recovered enough to be able to race. But, I yeah, hopefully everybody stays. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. To go back somewhere like this where obviously you suffered such a painful and difficult injury. Yeah, I really hope that she does have a really great weekend. But they, we won't see those guys until next weekend. No. So. And just to kind of give like a rundown, like, for our F3 cars, because that's what we that's what we specialize in here on the shakedown is our feeder series youngins. Mm -hmm. Um it is Trident Motorsport, Genzer Motorsport, SM SJM Theodore Prema Racing, Fancy. Um, High Tech Pulse 8, Campos, Van M Sport, Art Grand Prix, Rod and Carlin, and MP Motorsport. So it's all of the F3. No no screws or PMH. Yeah, so That's it'll be a good weekend, I'm sure. Something exciting for you to watch, but you may see a lot of it kind of floating around, a lot of people talking about it over the next couple of weeks. And in the excitement and hype and general drama 
surrounding Vegas we didn't want it to get lost so we thought we'd mention it as well there's a couple of seats that are still to be confirmed we're expecting two more one more with high tech and one with Roland Carlin so it'll be interesting to see who ends up in those two seats but otherwise it is pretty well confirmed for yeah the next two weekends which is exciting do we have anything else in Macau that we want to talk about I do not have anything else um other than I've got a bit of another piece of trivia for you do you know which celebrity has an endorsed race at Macau for celebrity women drivers? Which celebrity has a so team? There is a celebrity endorsed race for celebrity female drivers to partner with a pro racer with involving Mitsubishi. Do you know who the celebrity is? I think of who has connections. I think of who has connections. My brain, this is probably so wrong, goes to Charlize Theron. Idea. So wrong. No idea. I knew it would be so wrong. <laughs> Victoria Beckham. I don't know. Okay, but Macau is a region of which country? Oh, well. Huh? Is, is it not? Oh, I think I know who it is. But I can't remember her name. Who is it? I can't remember no, her name. it's a man. Oh, is it a man? Yeah. I thought it was going to be a woman. I was thinking women this whole time. <laughs> no, okay. Think again. That rules out Tom Cruise. Because it's not Tom Cruise. Jackie Chan. Chan. Oh, wait, really? <laughs> Yes, mom. I'm so proud of you. Yes, yes. There is a Jackie Chan endorsed race. It doesn't always it doesn't always uh, run, but there's a Jackie Chan endorsed race in Mitsubishi's for celebrity female drivers partnered with pro racers. How wild is that? I knew all of that, man. So proud of you. I'm gonna go. Rush, I'm gonna watch Rush Hour in his honor now. It's the only appropriate course of action. Yeah, so there you go. That's that's a little bit of a summary of the Macau Grand Prix. Before we wrap up for the day, we're going to be coming back next week. It will be dropping Thursday, but obviously because of the race week next week, we'll try and get it out to you as early as possible because Vegas obviously is taking place on Thursday, Friday and Saturday if you're in America. For me, it's still so. I forgot about that. Sunday, just like mm-hmm. early in the morning. But we are going to be doing a, an episode next week. Han, why don't you tell everybody what we're we going to be chatting about pre Vegas next week? We're going to be chatting about sponsorships and their relationship to physical tracks and their relationships to teams. We've done our marketing episode on drivers. This time we're going to focus on the teams as a whole and the track, especially Vegas, with Vegas coming around the corner that is heavily, heavily mm-hmm. sponsored. Not to their own fault. You get it where you can. But it is very important to talk about, especially in yeah. the land of sponsorships. Yes, definitely. So, you know, as we've alluded to earlier, there's going to be some stuff coming out over the next week about Vegas, about the track, about racing there. There's a lot of unknowns about it, not just because it's the first time we've raced there but because there are so many other things that, that i've not known about it so yeah we'll be talking all about that in um, our next episode and yeah if you've got any things you want us particularly to talk about in terms of vegas any questions comments anything that you want to say please write in our little question box on spotify or wherever else you listen i don't know where else you can leave comments like that spotify, sorry. send us a message on our twitter our facebook our instagram yeah get in contact if you've got anything you want us to answer about vegas or about sponsorship and yeah looking forward to that episode. i'm really excited to sort of learn a bit more about that from your expertise before we go we're hit to- i was gonna say it would be funny to talk about that given vegas's history 
mm. in general. <laughs> you know. Um, before we end, I do want to give a shout out to the F1 TikTok page. Not that they, not that anybody listens. <laughs> not that anybody. Yes, they do. Them. You know, you don't know that. That's true. We don't know. They have been on point this weekend with the memes. I've sent Mon like three of them. Mm-hmm. There was the um, George. George has been on it recently. George Russell has him. been on it, the memes. He commits to the bit. He's aware. He? He's he's aware of it, which makes it ten times better. And mm-hmm. to kind of give like a a call back to our driver marketing episode, he's aware of it. He's now people yep. thought he was so stiff and so I hate to say this because I love him unlikable, and now that he's like aware of the fact that he is meme king, memeable. He's a meme and mm-hmm. he's. Meme- and to the point where my fantasy team, which is totally failing, is called the Wilderness Explorers, and he is their captain. Love that. My Love name that. is George, <laughs> and I am part of Troop <laughs> Mercedes. You yeah. can see I am missing a yeah. badge. This is my helping the back marker badge. <laughs> How can I assist you today, <laughs> sir? <laughs> wow, guys! Look, <laughs> I'm sorry. Look. Hit my oh, driver. Like, they, there has been some good <laughs> content coming out of some of the channels this weekend. So the Aston Martin content has been fantastic as well. They just they've done they've done some good jobs. The the guys on Twitter particularly or X, I guess we should call it, are just yeah, they're doing well. It's going well. I'm very amused and impressed by it. So well done, everyone. Pat on the back for your quality social media content. Anyway, that is all done for the day. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you all next week for our pre-Vegas episode. Bye now. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you've got any questions on anything we discussed today, or there are topics you'd love to learn about with us in the future, then we would love to hear from you. You can get in touch on Instagram at PrettyGirlF1Club and on Twitter at PGF1C. Or follow us on TikTok at PGF1C. See you soon.